open our introduction. And I'm live. How are you? It, this is uh, Monday. What, what's today's date? The 11th, I think. And this is our 30th, our 31st edition of 62 Who Knew. And as you can see tonight, my co-hostess with the mostest is not here. She's on vacation. How come the co-host gets to have a vacation? The host doesn't take vacations. That's amazing. What's wrong with this picture? Anyway, uh, we hope Nader is having a great time on her vacation. She will be back next week. And uh, uh, we have a couple of announcements. Before I go into the synopsis of tonight's show and tell you about a very, very special guest, got to give a little teeny apology uh, for what happened last week. We have one of the best shows ever, ever. We had Mr. Colin Castle, the National Director of, uh, in home, of Home Instead Senior Care. We just had such a great show, the three of us. He was actually here in the studio. It's the second time he's been here. Uh, him and his family not only do wonderful things in their company, Home Instead Senior Care, which is the number one non-medical senior care company in the country. But him and his family also do just staggering, philanthropic things uh, for homeless people, for veterans. Uh, it's just kind of amazing. We had such a wonderful show, but at the end of the show, uh, somehow the internet gods attacked um, WeBeam TV and we lost the whole show. I wasn't aware about that, of that for a while. Uh, neither was John. Uh, we're checking into some Russia ties. We're not sure who attacked us, um, but we uh, we did lose last week's show, and it's a big bummer. So we are going to be having uh, Mr. Castle back in the next few weeks to redo the show. To our viewers that try to get on and saw a lot of static or didn't see what they normally expect from us, we apologize. Sometimes you know what happens in the Internet world. So tonight, as usual, uh, we're going to start out with a synopsis of what is 62 Who Knew for our new viewers. Our viewership keeps growing and growing. We thank you so much. Um, what is 62 Who Knew? 62 Who Knew is about the double-edged sword, the mixed blessing, if you wish, of longer lifespans. Every generation mm -hmm. from my father, uh, I consider myself this retirement generation. Uh, I'll be 61 in a few months. And um, every generation, my father, his father, your father, their father, their father before them, 
all had those same thoughts as they approached retirement. Should I have paid off the house? Did I pay off the house? Have I saved enough money? Should I have got more life insurance? Um, should I have gotten long-term care insurance? Should I take my Social Security at 62? Should I defer it for a longer amount of time or to a more uh, advanced age so my check is bigger? The, the questions never end, and they're always the same because we've all had our retirement questions, our retirement needs have been the same. I'm going to have to say not for decades, but for centuries. We want to live a high quality of life after we retire. And retirement has a different definition for everyone. But once we retire, we want to live a high quality of life. We want to be able to help our children, our grandchildren, if and when they need it. We want to be able to do pleasurable things in a pretty stress-free environment. That's all our wishes. I don't care your income bracket, your color, your creed, religion, way you live in the world. That's what you want out of retirement. Well, that's been the same until my generation. This generation the generation that's getting ready to retire now, the baby boomers, has a different set of obstacles, or at least one set of obstacles, that no other generation has ever faced. And that is longer lifespans. Now, many people have made comments on our website, or when I see them in person, Michael, you know, lifespans have been getting longer and longer since the caveman times, and that's true. We don't have to, um, there's very little chance of of me driving on Highway 19 and a dinosaur attacking me. So yes, lifespans have been getting uh, longer since caveman times. But never, unlike the last three decades, has medical science technology, medical breakthroughs advanced the way they have in the last three decades. Never have lifespans been like this. And quite frankly, if you make it to between 60 and 62, the odds are better than 50-50, you're going to spend about another 30 years on this planet. And thus was born 62, who knew? Who knew when we got to this point in life that we would still have half the time that we've already been here, 60 years, half that time, 30, to still be here. And the truth of the matter is, less than 1% of this great country can survive financially in retirement for 30 years with a high quality of life. And that's why we created 62 who knew and we have brought on incredible long-term care insurance specialists reverse mortgage specialists social security specialists um, health specialists uh, it just hasn't stopped in-home care people annuity people and tonight we're bringing on another special guest to deal with a very specific problem that's 62 who knew you can see us every night here excuse me every monday night at 7 p.m although on um, webeam tv uh, you can see repeats of us all day long. You can see us on Facebook. You can see us uh, on YouTube. Um, and we've grown. We've grown from no viewers uh, about seven months ago, seven and a half months ago, to a little more than 90,000 in the month of February. And we thank you for that. And uh, I thank all my great guests. And we're going to continue uh, with that habit of great guests right now. So without further ado, let me give you a little background on who's about to join us. Uh, his name is Mr. Abe Grunewald. Abe is the president of 65 Plus, the Healthcare Safety Net, a firm specializing in servicing the life, health, and medical insurance needs of the baby boomer and senior population. This is truly 62 new, 62 who knew at its best. He concentrates in the elder care market, works with attorneys, accountants, financial planners, 
and other insurance professionals in providing solutions to their clients with various insurance needs. Um, his background just doesn't stop, and we only have an hour, and it goes quickly, as most of you know. So uh, I'm not going to go into a lot more of his background, uh, but tonight we're going to ask Mr. Grunewald um, some very special questions about one of his level of expertise. I've waited for this type of expert uh, for almost six months to come on, and I'm very excited about tonight's, about tonight's, pro uh, tonight's topic, and that is life insurance. So many of us drop our life insurance in our 30s, 40s, and 50s. We don't need it anymore. The kids are older. But life insurance is an essential part of a retirement, pro of a retirement planning program. And if you don't have it or don't have enough of it and you're in your upper 50s on the way to retirement or in your 60s, there, ready to happen, maybe you're already in retirement in your mid-60s, most people think it's too late. That's it. That train has left the station. That ship has sailed. I can't think of any more analogies. Those are my two for the time being. All right? But is that true? Can you be in your mid to upper 50s or 60s and still purchase life insurance without it being cost prohibitive? That's one of the many questions we're going to answer tonight. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Mr. Abe Grunewald, president of 65 Plus, the healthcare safety net. And there he Hi, is. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. Now, before we go any further, let me explain to our listeners, our viewers, uh, no, Abe is not taking a class in mannequin modeling. He doesn't sit that still for interviews, but he had some technical issues uh, with his laptop on his side. Happens every now and then uh, when you're in an in, uh, on an internet show, and we weren't able to beam him in here live. Um, he's going to get that laptop fixed. You just got that laptop fixed, didn't you? I did. It was in over the weekend. I picked it up this morning, but uh, the camera function is not working, so we'll do audio. That's okay, and, and that's fine. And we get to see you. Yeah, we almost match. It's a good thing I didn't wear that tie. Um, welcome, and thank you for being here, really and truly, even with the technical difficulties. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, well, you sent me some great stuff, as, as a lot of our guests do. Um, and I want to, before we delve um, into... Uh, the 10 top reasons to have life insurance before we delve into uh, when you're buying life insurance, whether you're working or not, your age. Before we delve into that, I always have um, the same question uh, when I bring on an expert such as yourself in your field. Because you've been doing this how many decades now? Since 1977. So, we, oh my God, so we are talking 42 years. Um, so I'm going to ask, because you're not an elderly person right now, therefore, you were very young when you started this. Uh, you were probably, what, nine or ten years old when you, when you got your insurance license. So I'm going to ask you this, <laughs> just about, I'm going to ask you the same question that I always ask everyone. Four <clears throat> decades, you're still in the same arena that you came to more than four decades ago. How did you get to this part of the industry, and what makes you stay? Well, let me start off with uh, how I got into the industry and kind of address your question, if that's okay. Absolutely. So I was a actually working in the banking field, Mike, and uh, in a management training program. To be a candidate, I wasn't too excited about it. And one of my friends is a little bit older, was working in the insurance business at the time, and was still very close and friendly today, and he's still in the business. He invited me to speak for his uh, manager 
which I did. We had a couple meetings, and it wasn't uh, the right time to make the move. I continued in uh, uh, my banking management training program at the time. And about a year and a half later, uh, one of the accounts I handled was for a large insurance company, and I got to meet some of the agents from that company. And uh, over time, um, I did meet with their manager, and the time was better for me at that point. I was single, mid-20s, no obligations. I saw this as a great opportunity to get into a business without putting any big capital down. I was really investing in myself over mm-hmm. time fly and fell. So that's initially how I got into it. Um, I've had a couple of different paths along the way. I've, I've had a career path with that particular company. Uh, then I worked for a firm on Wall Street in their insurance and annuity division as a specialist advisor to the uh, brokers at the firm. And then eventually in uh, probably about the mid-80s, I went out on my own and have been independent since that, since that time. Mm, it's a re- you know, I, I wish when I was in my 20s I won't say that I got my insurance license instead of my mortgage license, but my God, I wish I got my insurance license uh, in my 20s or 30s. It's a, uh, it's a very, re- mortgages are very rewarding, um, and it, it, people always laugh when I say this, but you know, when most people have a problem, nobody calls their mortgage guy. They call their mortgage guy when they need a mortgage, when they need money. But you know, your son, your daughter got into a car accident, uh, something happened, and somebody's sick uh it just doesn't stop you had another grandchild you want to have life, more life insurance to add to your will you call your insurance agent and it, it's amazing when i say that when i do a lot of public speaking people kind of smile but then you can see it in their eyes and they go yeah you're right when you have a problem most people get up and call their trusted insurance agent right well, you know i've had calls like that through the years i've got uh you know, a host of uh, first and second generation uh, clients, and uh, and a few even the third generation as uh-huh. they age out. So it, it's kind of interesting to see the family dynamics through the years. It's got to feel good too. It's right. good. You know, when they say thank you and and uh, you've done a good job, and you know, initially, you know, look, let's face it, they're not raising their hand and saying, "When can I come over on a Monday at nine oh one to buy life insurance?" Right. They trust development, a relationship development, discovering a need, and trying to help the client. Yeah, those are wonderful things to do for people. And it's not going to go out of style. Um, I know I sound like a dinosaur, but it's going to be very hard to have a computer do that, to be honest with you, uh, even as, as great as the technology has come. So you sent me a list. I've seen some of these things, and I'd like to go over the list just a little, which is top 10 reasons to own life insurance. Uh, do you have that list in front of you? Do you want me to name them? And, and maybe you give us a quick scenario um, on why you name these 10 people. Want me to name them? Yeah, why don't you do that? I have some notes here, but go right ahead. All right, number one, and again, I don't think a lot of people understand that life insurance can be used for this. Replace lost income. Okay, when most people hear that, they might be thinking of disability insurance, but the reality is, let's just take an example, and I'll use round numbers to make it easy, Mike. If you have a person 40 years old, and he works, let's keep it easy, another 20 years, and he averages $100,000 of income a year, if we do the math, that's over $2 million plus. Right. If you're getting any raises. But what happens if that breadwinner, uh, something happens prematurely, and he can't earn or she can't earn those dollars over those next 20 plus years, the income has to come from somewhere. The only way that I know that somebody can create income with the stroke of a pen with good health is through life insurance. That makes sense. It's amazing how many families don't think of that, isn't it? And 
Yeah, but they do in certain ways or at different times. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes I get a call triggered by an event in the family, an illness, a death. It's too late. That may uh, wake somebody up. Um, and the other thing that comes to play I was going to bring up, which is related to this, somebody may work for a firm, and they have group insurance like most middle to large corporations. Mm -hmm. The problem I found through the years, and it's changing a little bit now, Mike, is that most people rely on this as their foundation instead of their supplement for their coverage. It's not a foundation. You work for company A, I don't know if you're going to be there for two years or 32 years. Benefits will change. Have your own life insurance portfolio, and the group benefits are a supplement on top of that. Very good advice. Very sound advice. All right, number two on the list, cover burial expenses. God, funerals have gotten so expensive. Yeah, they, they are. It's, you know, it's not two, $3,000 anymore, and uh, it can add up. Um, obviously, it is going to be an expense for the family. Do you want to leave a, a clean slate for your beneficiaries or leave a debt for them? So it's just something we factor in in our planning. Absolutely. Of course, number three is so big. I mean, we could talk about it for days. Peace of mind. I think it's sort of uh, self-explanatory in a way, Mike. Yeah. Um, you know, once, once you know that and if something were to occur to somebody prematurely and you've got you know, your estate in order, uh, not just your life insurance, but your wills, your documents, healthcare proxies, etc. Um, you can really, you know, have really comfort in that. Oh, no doubt about it. Okay, college planning—that's a biggie in today's world. Yeah, yes, it is. I mean, look at the cost of college. Yeah. I, I saw somebody over the weekend, and uh, I think it was one of the Ivy schools, and he told me that uh, his nephew's going there was like sixty-five thousand dollars. Obviously, not every college is sixty-five thousand. There are state schools, scholarships, things of that nature. But the number, or one of the key reasons when I meet a young couple and I'm talking to them is uh, I'll get a profile of their finances, their debts, their income. Let's say they have a couple young kids, two and four years old. The biggest thing in our mind is do I have enough income and assets to provide for my kids in case something happens before they graduate? And obviously, as I said earlier, the only way to create dollars is through life insurance. Absolutely. All right. This is a biggie. And, you know, many people, you know, they think of life insurance, they think pure term obviously because it's cheaper but number five build cash value building cash value as uh, many of our listeners probably know is uh, inherent in whole life insurance or cash value insurance and you may want to build that for a number of different reasons have some additional uh, supplemental retirement income down the road uh, number two I'm sure you know it from your mortgage uh, world if you look at a mortgage application and list assets one of the entries there is cash value life insurance. It's Absolutely. considered an asset available uh, whenever somebody needs it. They don't have to qualify. You can leverage that, perhaps make a, a good investment or replenish the cash value. So it, it's really a good source of having your own bank in a way, of, of building that up over time. Yeah, now is it true that if you do build up cash value over time, let's say things are bad, uh, you, you lose your job, possibly you've been late on a few payments, your credit isn't as good, they can't turn you down to borrow money from your own life insurance because it's your money. Am I saying that correctly? Exactly right. It's a, it's a great point. Think of it as your own private bank account held by the insurance company, Mike. Mm -hmm. And the funds are there. And, and the way it works, just to educate our listeners uh, quickly, let's say you yeah, have a $100,000 life policy. And let's say, hypothetically, I borrow $10,000 against that policy. So my net death benefit is the difference. So I have 10000 in my pocket, but the insurance company at that moment is obligated to pay my beneficiaries only 90000 
I can repay that cash value if I want to over time mm-hmm. or not. And in our example, in a, a simple uh, explanation, 90000 will go to the beneficiary. God, that really is, really and truly, that, they say there's no such thing as a win-win, but that is a win-win situation. You either pay it back as the consumer, or if you don't, unless you figure out a way how not to die, which no one has figured that out, either way, the life insurance company is getting paid back. Yeah, and one more thing to add to that. I've had clients with me, you know, 35, 40 years, and you know, I've gotten to know them well versus somebody I might meet tomorrow. And um, on occasion, they've called me and said, oh, I want to borrow against the, the insurance. And I said, uh, how come? You know, well, we're going on vacation and we'll show it our money. And I always have been successful in talking them out of that because I know that money's not going to come back for a vacation. Right. But if they call me, Mike, and say, you know, I have an investment opportunity. I've really looked it over with my financial guy, and I think it makes some sense. I'd like to leverage his 10000 Maybe I can turn it into 12, 13, 15. Right. Then I encourage them to consider that. And after they've had that growth, let's say, in that investment, put the cash back again. You're going to have right. another opportunity that comes up. Be prepared. Oh, no doubt. That's a great example because you know, I hear so many people as I get older, oh, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I think you have to get older to realize there's a lot of once-in-a-lifetime opportunities usually in your lifetime. Right. That's it. So you never know. Be prepared. Be prepared. All right, number six. People don't look, uh, I, I think, most people, laymen. Uh, like myself, don't really look at life insurance as an investment. But number six here is diversify investments. How would we use life insurance to diversify our investments? Well, obviously, we all know that your investments can uh, increase or decrease over time. Hopefully, uh, it's on an upward track, but you know, we can't control that. And uh, life insurance, particularly cash value, life insurance has a uh, <clears throat> rate built in to grow over time. Your premium is fixed, as probably many of our listeners know, but you could also build some cash over time, diversify your investment. So what happens if the uh, market goes down like it had in 2008 yeah. and we took a big hit? You know, on, on that day, uh, on October two, October 1986, when the market crashed back then, Black Monday. you know what? Life, the life insurance companies credited increases to policyholders that day, that month. So this just gives you a little more of a safety cushion, a safety net. Absolutely. Now, I know from a couple of personal examples about number seven, but I want you to give us a few examples. Business planning. Business planning. Let's uh, make a, uh, an example. You and I are uh, business partners. We own a store together, hypothetically. And uh, let's say the business is worth a million dollars. Okay? Well, uh, we don't know how long we're gonna, going to live. And I love your wife. You love my wife. But I don't want to be partners. I might love your wife, person. too. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had so, to say that. I'm sorry. What's a, a prudent thing for business partners to do, and it doesn't have to be two people. It could be three, four who own a business. Mm-hmm. Okay, but let's keep it very simple. Two people own the business, and it's worth a million. We take out what's called, you know, key man insurance. So let's say in each of us, something happens to you, okay? I'm going to pay your beneficiary that 500000 and I will get your 50% of the stock. Now we own the business, or vice versa. A very simple example Often neglected or overlooked. Why? Because business owners starting a business, they're planning, they're holding on to every dollar, they're trying to be smart, they're trying to get off the ground. Even if you take some term insurance to get started, you really want to look at this carefully. No, absolutely. I know we had a, uh, when I had a company several years ago, uh, they took out a key mail uh, policy on myself, and it, and it made a lot of sense. I know 
um, most business people don't want to be in business with their partner's spouse, whether that be a man or a woman. Um, that, that's not usually a good situation. All right, that was number seven. Number eight, life insurance to help us with our estate taxes. Is that as big a topic today with the new estate tax laws? Because let's face it, unless you're worth a small fortune or actually a large fortune, uh, you know, estate taxes have been pretty well obliterated in this country, or at least for normal people. Yeah, that level has changed right now. We're rounding it off. Uh, we have an estate tax uh, exclusion up to about five, federal exclusion up to about five point four million dollars. So again, this is for the uh, particularly high net worth individuals mm -hmm. that, if you're worth again individually, let's call it five and a half, or as a couple, you know, almost uh, eleven plus. Yeah, you want to speak to your estate tax attorney advisor and maybe look at insurance as a way to provide instant liquidity, instant liquidity upon death to pay those taxes. Again, that's a more complex scenario, but the majority of folks will probably fall under that limit. Yeah, no, no doubt about that under the current uh, regulations. All right, number nine, we're going to not skip, but we're going to talk a lot, a lot about um, right after we're done with this top ten. Number nine is coverage may still be affordable. Yeah, you know what, let's defer till we get into that later yes. so we're not repeating ourselves, and we'll get into that if you don't Absolutely, no, absolutely. And number 10, pay off debt. That's a biggie. You know, a lot of people may overlook this. Everybody may not be flush. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we saw when the federal government went on strike and uh, those workers are really in, in a pinch. Uh, many of them live paycheck to paycheck. So there are a lot of debts out there that need to be paid, and I think a responsible you know, father and mother do not want to leave those debts to their children, you know, upon their passing. So factor that in as you look at your planning, your portfolio, putting your will together, having all those documents and things in place will definitely provide peace of mind. Oh, yeah, more than peace of mind. I mean, the, the, uh, it kind of staggers me uh, how many people don't think of that because um, you don't want to leave your children with debts. Um, you just don't. Um, okay, so that was our top ten. I'd say I feel like David Letterman, but I can't stand David Letterman, so I won't say that. Uh, but it was a good top ten. So now let's talk about um, a few other great things that you sent me. We are doing very good on time. Um, you know, you sent me this preamble. You're in your 60s and planning your retirement. Maybe you are retired. Now would be a good time to re-examine your life insurance. Here are some of those options, keeping your life insurance. As you enter your 60s, you might find you need your life insurance as much as ever. Um, let's talk about that. Well, you know, most people I know when the person who sold me my life insurance in my 20s and 30s, the presentation or the closing pitch was, um, you know, could your wife take your three children and put them through grade school, a good college, and help them out to start their lives if you weren't here? The answer was no. How much would she need? And I got to tell you, the number was big. It was seven figures because the kids were young. Um, so give me a couple of reasons why if you were in your 60s, you, know, you would still want your life insurance or maybe even increase it. Okay. Well, what you said was important for the uh, folks early on building a family when they're young. Typically, generally uh, speaking, they haven't really built their assets. They haven't worked that many years. They haven't put money away. They really need to create dollars for the family, and, and that's through life insurance, as you mentioned a minute ago. Now you have somebody who's uh, getting older. They may say the kids are out of uh, the house, Mike. Uh, mm -hmm. Their needs are different. They're looking ahead to retirement. Maybe they just retired. 
Uh, maybe they've retired for five, six years already. Well, again, we've seen in, in the investment stock market, portfolios go up and down. So maybe it would be a good idea to have some guaranteed, guaranteed liquidity by having insurance that lasts a lifetime. So you know your portfolio is worth X, your retirement is Y dollars, you're getting so much in Social Security and pension per month, but maybe you'd like to provide additional funds for your family, perhaps bequests to grandchildren, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So the reason to buy insurance for many people, not all, when they get older, is to take care of some of these personal needs. They've built up their portfolio, the kids are out, as I say, but now they're thinking a little bit differently, like, what else can I do to provide some gifts or legacies for my family. No, that, that's, that's incredible. And one of your first bullet points, I, I think, that affects so much more of the world, again, this fits into what we do here at 62, who knew so much. You know, you're in your 60s, you're still working, and you have a spouse that depends on that income that you bring in. And since most of us are going to make it to our 90s, a lot of us, I'm, I'm right here you know, as one of those people, are in their 60s and still working. So life insurance can help protect that income. Let's go into that a little. Okay. Kind of uh, similar to the uh, early point we, we said before about replacing lost income. Mm -hmm. So somebody's in their 60s and still working, and again, depending on the <clears throat> benefit package at work, and this is very typical when uh, employees reach age 65 and above, their group insurance, their life insurance through work starts to diminish. Right. And sometimes it disappears fully at age 70 or 75. Now, I'm not saying all of our listeners will be working until 70 and 75, but if they're uh, relying on that insurance and it's going to, going to disappear, or B, they'll be retiring in two, three, four years, take a look at where you are now and maybe life insurance might be an additional consideration to provide mm -hmm. that guaranteed liquidity down the road when you do leave your employment. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, of course, we mentioned this a little uh, with estate taxes, um, you know, high net worth uh, consumers, high net worth clients are often using insurance, you know, to outweigh um, any type of estate taxes. But again, if it's a couple, you know, this is only relevant, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, if they have a net worth above around $11 million. That's correct. That's pretty much what we, we mentioned earlier. Um, so, you know, just reiterate those particular comments on that part. Now, here's a biggie also because there's a lot of children uh, still coming back to mom and dad because they have their $100,000 in student loans and they're not able to find a job. So this is, this is I think, more relevant today than maybe ever before. Others depend on you financially um, to help support children, grandchildren, family members. Consider keeping your term policy or converting to a permanent policy. Right. So, as you just mentioned, and especially in today's world and economics and, and high cost and the job market, there's a lot of you know, millennials and boomers who are back home living with mom and dad, and you know, they're living with our peers, people in our 60s, Mike, like you and I. Yeah. Not my sports, fortunately, but you know they didn't plan on this. So all of a sudden, there's a little more pressure on uh, dad and mom, and having that extra <laughs> person in the house. And um, so, again, life insurance could be a tool and a method to provide for some additional income because, unfortunately, Junior's not on his own at this time. No, there's no doubt about it. All right, now we come to a biggie that we're going to spend uh, a little time. You know. Um, 
buying life insurance in the latter part of life, whether that be in your mid to upper 50s when you're approaching that 62 mark or maybe in your early to mid 60s. Is this still mm -hmm. feasible? Because, again, as a, a layman, I think to myself, it's got to be cost prohibitive. But are there times when it's not? Well, all life insurance, what I tell clients at any age, whether you're 25 or 65, the younger you are, the healthier you are, the more cost efficient it will be. Now, there are different types of life insurance. You mentioned term insurance, which is purely protection and whole life with cash value we touched on. Mm -hmm. term, term insurance, by definition, has a maturity date. Right. So once it reaches a maturity date, if somebody didn't convert it, which we'll talk about, that policy pretty much is over unless you want to go into paying a very exorbitant rate. Yeah. So <clears throat> what the difficulty with older ages, and I come across this weekly, is obviously, as you mentioned, the health uh, eligibility and the cost. But the clients that I'm typically seeing have done pretty well in their lifetime, and they have assets and income flow or pension, whatever it is, to possibly consider life insurance if it makes sense for them. But again, the main challenge for me is health insurance. In fact, I'm seeing a 73-year-old woman tomorrow referred to me by an attorney in the afternoon. Um, she has some coverage, but she's concerned about leaving enough for her kids and grandkids. And we're going to talk about a couple of different concepts and see if we can provide a solution for her. I didn't even know that's, that's an option in, the, in your 70s. Yeah, you, you, you can get coverage later in life. But again, not to be redundant, it's tougher medically to qualify. Of course. Um, and you really want to look at what's called permanent insurance. Most companies will not issue term for any lengthy period, let's just say in general, beyond age 70. I can't, I can't be age 70 and buy a 25-year term policy yeah. until 95, generally speaking, in, in the vanilla description of what term insurance is to keep it simple for us tonight. So let me ask you a question. I'm going to get a little more specific uh, for my own case. Um, let's say you're between 58 and 63. I'm going to give you a five-year okay. spread. You're in halfway decent health. Notice I didn't say perfect. We'll go for perfect right. the next time. Halfway decent health. And, of course, different people define that. Can you still get a, 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 uh, either a term policy or permanent insurance where it is not what some people would consider cost prohibitive? Yeah, that's a good question. Let's just say in your example that you're between 58 and 63. You can buy term insurance from all the major companies. You can buy permanent coverage, which could be whole life. There are other types called universal life, again, just to give the broad description to our listeners tonight. So you can definitely buy it in that age group. Again, health qualification. One of the reasons we work with different companies, because perhaps company A and B, all A top-rated companies, the underwriting will be different with different carriers. So right. you know, for our listeners, if you have a trusted insurance advisor, great. If not, uh, I would suggest working with an independent broker who can go to different carries on your behalf and come up with the best program for you. Absolutely. Now, you've mentioned several times since the top ten list and in the last uh, few examples, you know, term permanent insurance. Um, you know, we know permanent insurance is, uh, you know, is, is the universal um, and other types of insurance like that. But you've also mentioned converting. You can convert a long-time term policy into permanent insurance? Is that always? Yeah. Not always, but good, good question. Let me explain it, then I'll give you a couple examples. Most term insurance with quality companies have what's called a conversion option. What does that mean in English? 
I bought a policy. It's term insurance. I pay every year. <clears throat> Typically, these are lock-in rates, Mike, for 10, 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. sometimes 25 and 30 years if you're younger. And let's say I have a 10-year plan and I'm paying all along. The policy, the contract will have a provision that allows me to convert or change to one of the company's existing permanent plans. Typically, uh, it's got to be a cash value, whole life, maybe universal plan. What's the advantage? Let's say I took out the policy of 55 and it was a 10-year term going until 65, and I realized, gee, I'd like to have coverage longer than that, and B, perhaps I've developed some health issues and I do not qualify for new coverage if I have to go through the underwriting medical qualification again. So that policy will have a conversion feature which allows you to buy coverage. Let's say I'm I'm 60 now and I bought it at 55. The insurance company will guarantee the issue to me with the company I'm with, no medical questions, and I would look at the portfolio of what they offer from that company and I would buy a permanent plan. Now, permanent means cash value. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm five years older in my example, 60 versus 55. But just with the age differential, I'm going to pay more. And because it's a permanent plan lasting for my life, not maturing in five years, I will pay more for there as well. Right. The easiest and best analogy I use, and you'll appreciate that being in the mortgage <laughs> business, is when I speak to a client. You want a roof over your head? Yes. We can rent or we, or we can buy. Which do you prefer? Hey, what do you mean? And then I explain in English the difference between term and permanent. That is a so good analogy. I, I pay X dollars a year. Let's presume the rent doesn't go for 10 years, which is not the case. Mm-hmm. At the end of 10 years, I'm out of that apartment. If I buy, I'm building some equity. That's the cash value. Of course, I have to put more down in order to have that, but that gives you that liquidity <laughs> on the end of the cash value. I understand. Now, is, and if you have a term policy, am I understanding this correctly for our viewers? You have a term policy with a conversion option. You bought it at a certain time in your life. You were probably younger and healthier. Now let's mm-hmm. say you've put on a little too much weight and you're not quite healthy. I don't know who I'm referring to in this particular case, um, but it hits a little close to home. If I have a conversion option on my term policy, I can convert. Yes, it will be more expensive, but there's not going to be another health checkup. They're not going to say, hey, you gained 50 pounds since you got this policy. It's contractual, so it's a great feature. Wow. Periodically, my clients will run into that medical obstacle and I bring this up to them. I'm working with somebody now in Florida, in the uh, in the West Palm Beach area, and uh, his conversion date is expiring in about two, three months. And he, he still needs the coverage. We're going to see how much he can afford. He happens to own two and a half million in coverage. Huh. I don't think he's converting the full amount because he doesn't have the cash flow. That would be expensive. But, but, well, it would be, but let's say he converts a million. So he can keep a million, let's say, till age 95 and still provide protection for his family versus letting the $2.5 million expire. I think it's five more years. And what did you say? He's 65? He is 60. I think he's like 64, so he's so a little that, younger than 65. So going back to a couple of other things that, that I've learned since you've come on, um, at 65, he converts to a million. Um, when he's 75 or 80, and in today's world, still healthy, with years left, he's going to have a hell of a cash value in that whole life policy, isn't he? Not necessarily. It's a good point. Let me oh, clarify okay. what we said. Every company offers different types of products for conversion. His goal was not to build a hefty cash value. His goal was to have enough 
death benefit lasting, in his case, till 95. Uh-huh. So some of these companies are very creative, Mike. Instead of building hefty cash value, they'll, the actuaries, okay, the brainiacs will figure out how much do we need to keep a million dollars on John Smith till 95 without regard to cash value. That might be X. The next person, they may converting, he says, you know, I really want to build some cash value. And he can put more in than the person who's not focused on the cash value. The key point is not the cash value element, but it's how long benefit. can we keep exactly the debt benefit? And the cash value is a secondary discussion. All right. And not to state the obvious, but I'm getting good at stating the obvious because most of my guests are smarter than I am. Uh, if, you, if you have a larger eye on death benefit than you do on cash value, your premiums are going to be a lot less expensive. Yes, exactly. For the same, uh, let's say, million dollars you convert, and I only want the death benefit, not interested in the cash growth, yes, there'll be less. There'll be more than what you're paying per term, but then you're buying that peace of mind, in in this example, till 95, sometimes till age 100, even beyond. All right, and did I hear you say not all term policies have a conversion option? That's correct. Most do. Okay. And the ones that do, you have to be careful, and some of our listeners are, are tuning in tonight and maybe they have term, okay? Check your policies, ladies and gentlemen, because there's an expiration date, okay? Just like on our milk in the fridge, there's an expiration date on that term policy with that company when you can convert. If I own a term policy with company A, I'm not promoting any company tonight, let's just call it company A. Mm-hmm. You have to look at the contract of company A and what it says. Can you convert up to what age? That's the key thing. Absolutely. All right, one of the last topics we're going to – I say this every week. The hour goes so quick. We still have a good 15 minutes plus. But it's just if you would have asked me how long we'd be talking, I, I would have told you 15 minutes, not 40. Um, want to talk about something that I never took that seriously, hasn't come to me yet. Well, it actually has a little. Um, but with all the things you've mentioned that you can use life insurance from for, uh, let's talk about people that have it in their 50s or 60s or older and are thinking of dropping it. I would, I would think, you know, after listening to the top 10 and the several things that we just discussed in the last 15 minutes, you'd have to think really, I mean, what would be the reason you dropped it other than financial, bad times have hit, I can't afford the premium. Take away financial for a second. Name me some reasons that if you had active life insurance, in your retirement, why would you why would you drop it? Why would you consider canceling it? There could be an, an, a number of reasons. So let's say that person has built up his uh, estate, his portfolio, mm-hmm. and he he looks at it, and hopefully with a financial planner or his account, and he says, uh, whatever the number is, he's he's worth X dollars. And if something happened tomorrow and he had no life insurance, would that provide enough of an income flow for his wife or beneficiaries or his family? That's the first question. Mm-hmm. But I've had some, some clients who've actually been in that position, and even though we talked about all the merits and pluses early on of maintaining it throughout your life, some of those clients have decided, you know what, I've built up enough. My kids are doing great. In fact, they're doing better than me. Okay, and I put them through uh, medical school and law school. Do I really need to keep that million dollars that I've been paying for? So, again, they'll look at uh, their So there is other reasons. reasons. And, and, you know, a lot of it is driven by... You know, if there a need to provide beyond what they have for the kids, mm-hmm. um, they may not want to provide, you know, more than what they've done so far. Perhaps uh, the wife uh, or the, the other spouse, in, in this example, 
has enough assets in his or her own name from, from their working years or their inheritance. So there are a number of reasons. I, I'm not advocating everybody should own life insurance forever. Look at your situation. Uh, and as you said early on, when you're young, you're buying it to create your estate. When you get older, it's an additional uh, uh, income to your family in case you die prematurely. And it could be another uh, asset protection in case your portfolio goes down. You have some guaranteed dollars, guaranteed dollars coming mm -hmm. in with life insurance. Well, I remember I was in my early to mid-30s, and I'm going to give kudos to someone. Uh, his name is quite well known. Um, uh, he was the president and founder of Amerilife, which at that time was uh, one of the, if not the largest, independent health insurance agencies in the United States of America. His name was Mr. Gary Bush. His, uh, his home office was in Clearwater, Florida. And my dad and I rented a few thousand square feet in the Amerilife Tower for our mortgage company, and we'd become friends. He's 10 years older than me. We're still friends. He came into me in my uh, into my office in mid 30s. Uh, he was in his mid 40s, a lot more successful than I. And he changed my life at that point because he looked in all the pictures of my children and he said, "I'm always down here. You're always on a class trip. You're always somewhere with your children." Can I ask you a question? I went, "Of course." He goes, "How much life insurance do you have?" And I remember the answer. It was a quarter of a million dollars. And he went, "Okay. Can we agree that as president and CEO of this company?" I don't need to sell you a life insurance policy. I'm not here to convince you of anything. I said, yeah, of course. Why are you asking? He said, I'm going to ask you a question. You, you, you consider yourself a good father, don't you? I said, yeah, nothing's more important than my children. He said, so if you died, could your wife give your three children the education, the life they deserve, get them their started on a quarter of a million dollars? And I went, no. Actually, it wouldn't even be close. Does your wife make enough money to do it? No, she doesn't. So he said, so what you're really saying is, he said, I don't mean to be mean to you, is you care about your children immensely as long as you're here. But if you're not here, they're kind of on their own, aren't they? And I just kind of looked at him. And I will tell you, he, he changed the way I thought in life in that minute. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, mm -hmm. my God, you're right. I'm always flying somewhere to talk about reverse mortgages or... I'm driving my Corvette at 80 miles an hour on Highway 275 or Route 4. Um, you're right. He goes, yeah, think about that. And I will tell mm -hmm. you the next day I called him and said, get me one of your best people. And, and I bought X amount of insurance. I won't say how much. But he really did change my life in that minute. He also followed it up um, with a, a little analogy. And I know many other people use it. Um, he said, Michael, there's uh, two families on separate parts of the country. Mom, dad, two kids in the car, two kids in the back. They both get into car accidents at the same mm -hmm. time, opposite sides of the country. Uh, parents die, children live. The children whose mom and dads didn't have life insurance. You know what they're called? I go, what, Gary? He said, orphans. They're orphans. Their parents are gone. I said, oh. He said, you want to know what you call the children whose parents were smart enough to have life insurance? I go, what? He goes, heirs. Do you want your children to be orphan or heirs? Again, just a life changer to me. Um, and that was a long time ago. But, uh, yeah, now's the time. Uh, we have a little less than 10 minutes left. I do want to say directly to our viewers, uh, I still want to talk to Abe for another few minutes, and, and then I'm going to take the last five minutes of the show out. Um, if you're in your 20s or 30s right now, I know most of our listeners, most of our viewers um, are above that age. 
Um, but if you're in your 20s, 30s, even 40s, and you're one of those people that, yeah, I got some life insurance at work, everything's fine. Sit down with a pad and paper with your significant other tonight. Say, Billy's seven years old, Mary's five. Um, what is it going to take to get them to 18 in a nice style of life? And then what is it going to take to get them through college? And if I was here, would I be helping them maybe with the cost of their wedding or a down payment on their house? How much is that? And put that down on a piece of paper and pencil. And I think you're going to be amazed at what that number is. And then look at your paycheck and see how much they're taking out for life insurance and how much coverage you really have. And then call the next day and get it increased. I think you'll be surprised how inexpensive it is and how, I don't know, what's the best way to put it, Abe? I know once that next day came and I bought that extra life insurance, I kind mm -hmm. of felt good about myself. Well, I still do, you know, because I know they were taken right. care of. It's almost a certain amount of selfishness that my youth and arrogance didn't think of. You know, I had to have an insurance man, you know, blast it in front of me. Well, you, were, you were lucky uh, that you came, of course, Gary Bush, and he was uh, helpful in enlightening you. I'd like to take uh, the last couple minutes, if I can, Mike, and leave the, our audience with two or three quick bullet points. Oh, please do. Please do. Okay. Number one, uh, most folks know that uh, insurance departments are state-regulated, not federal. So if you have any questions, go to your own state insurance department website. Just Google it in. You know, Florida State Department of Insurance, New York State Department, and you can get a lot of good information for the consumers there. Number two, you could also check upon agents if they're in good standing. Let's say you got referred to somebody and you want to know about him or her, you can check them out. So that's just a helpful consumer tip. You can also get life insurance buyer's guides off these websites from any insurance company as well. One other tip, I know your audience is typically in their 50s and 60s, Mike, right? Yes. So they're doing some pre-retirement planning. Maybe they'll retire in five, six, ten years. And a lot of uh, professionals out there, let's say particularly teachers and others, they will have to make a decision regarding pensions, a pension decision when they retire. Quick example. So let's say I'm retiring as a teacher next year, or maybe five years from now, and I get my statement every year from the benefits department, and it says, gee, if you continue with this uh, pay level, Abe, you're going to have a pension of $100,000 a year, and sign here, and once you sign, that's it. Okay? Now, there are typically options, options, survivorship options, which our audience may know, that come with these choices. One would be to take that $100,000 and hopefully live a very long life, and that will be payable to me. Mm -hmm. But guess what? If that's the highest payable option and I die tomorrow, the next day after I sign my retirement papers, that's gone. That's a very expensive choice to make. Yes. But typically, you'll see alternate choices. Again, not to be technical, but just to share an idea with the audience. Mm -hmm. They will say, you know what? Let's have a joint and survivor policy for Abe and his wife. So if we do that, now the pension people say, Abe, we can give you 75000 a year for as long as you, you live, or 78 or 80. So I'm taking a hit from that 100000 but I know I've protected my wife and myself. Exactly. Now, why do I give you that example? Sometimes when people are younger and healthier, don't wait till you're 65 or 68 when you retire, maybe in your 50s, have a little foresight and say, you know what, let me look at that. Perhaps I'll be better off financially and not giving up that 20 or 25% of my pension and buying some permanent life insurance to cover that spread and take that 100000 Hopefully I'll live to my 90s. But if not, that life insurance will replace that income flow that may be forfeited. So 
So just a tip for you know everybody listening in. That's more than a tip. That was incredible advice, really and truly, and I thank you for that. Um, although our uh, website is not yet set up for this, it will be in the next few days. Yes, uh, uh, insurance is state regulated, but if any of our viewers you know, are thinking, you know, that's nice, but I don't have an insurance man or I don't have a financial planner that I trust, please go to 62whonew.com, put in the contact information. Um, hey, I'd like some information about insurance. Here's the state I live, and uh, here, is, here at 62 Who Knew, we will find you someone in your state uh, that you can trust, that we have vetted, that is part of the 62 Who Knew family, um, so you can have somebody you trust. We really do want to take care of our 62 Who Knew audience like that, whether it be life insurance, long-term care insurance, uh, final settlement policies, whatever it may be. If you don't have someone that you totally trust, go through the 62 Who Knew website, contact us, and we'll put you through someone that we have vetted and know that you'll be taken care of. Abe, thank you, thank you so much for doing this. I got to tell you, I learned more about life insurance, you know, in the last 55 minutes than I have in the last 55 years. So I do thank you <laughs> so much, and I hope you'll agree uh, to come on to the show again, maybe in the second quarter. Thanks for having me. I got to do one more thing, a 15, 20 second quick thing. Go, please do uh, it. Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, when was the last time you checked your beneficiaries on your life insurance? Oh. Call your, call your agent, call your company, make sure it's exactly the way you want it to be. I'll bet half the audience hasn't done that. Yeah, that's very, uh, yes, that's very relevant. I, let alone half the audience, possibly the host. <laughs> Thank no you, Sonia. And the next time we do this, your camera is going to be working. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you so much. All right. And if you stay on, we'll talk a little after the show. Uh, John, how much time do we have left? Four minutes. So much time. Three and a half. I just lost 30 seconds that quick. This is life. I want to talk about what we're going to be doing next week. Um, this is something very unusual. Next week, we have a Mr. David Hall coming on as a guest. And you're going to be surprised. My viewers are going to be surprised. David is one of the top producers for Legal Shield in the United States of America. Uh, he's an officer of the company. I've been hearing about Legal Shield for at least the last five to seven years. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, Michael, when you're traveling the country, you need to talk about Legal Shield when you talk about reverse mortgages. Michael, when you talk about long term care, whatever, you've got to bring up Legal Shield. It's the only way for mid America to really afford the proper legal coverage they need. Because a great attorney today, and let's face it, you need a great attorney when you need one. You don't when you don't, but when you need one, you don't want Joe Schmo. You want a great attorney. And those great attorneys can be anywhere from $250 to $1,000 an hour. And average Americans just cannot afford that. And as a result, are taken advantage of a lot because they can't afford that attorney. Well, a trusted member of my family got involved with Legal Shield a little over a year and a half ago. Kudos out to my nephew, Chris Banner, uh, who's in Connecticut, probably freezing right now. And he's been trying to convince me for a year. Michael, we got to talk about Uncle Michael. We have to talk about Legal Shield on the show. I said, no, I don't want to do it. It's not my thing. I don't push products like that. But I trust Chris. Chris got me involved just a few weeks ago, and I sat with an open mind, which at my age is not easy, with Mr. David Hall and went through an hour presentation. And now I have Legal Shield, even though I have 
corporate attorneys, personal attorneys, I have Legal Shield as an icon on my phone. Um, for what it costs per month, which is incredibly inexpensive, I have already used it enough to make up for my last two years, for the next two years' premiums. It is such a small cost to cover me, like I can't believe. So, yes, next week we are going to do a PowerPoint presentation, which we're not even set up to do as a television station, uh, but John Gaston, uh, owner of, the, of WeBeam TV and founder of the company, is going to figure out how to do it for us. And we're going to give our 20, 25,000 viewers a total presentation on what Legal Shield is and how it can protect you and your family without that $250 to $1,000 um, an hour attorney. No disrespect to those attorneys. It's just most of us can't afford you. There also, for my gun-carrying fans out there, there is also a gun protection plan that rivals the NRA and is less expensive. So join us next week. We're going to have, this is going to be a very different show as it's a full-hour presentation on protecting America legally. Be there next week. Thank you so much. Appreciate you all.